Most people listen to podcasts to learn something, to be entertained and to walk away feeling inspired, perhaps even educated a bit. Hello, I'm Devo and I'm one of the two hosts of our show, The Little Impolite Podcast. Welcome and thanks for listening. This show is for the expansive, open-minded creative whose persistent curiosity towards integrating new information in their lives never stops. Think of it as the free thinkers toolkit for anyone that refuses to enroll in the conformity of all of those around them, instead forging their own paths with fortitude and love. It's that slightly unapologetic conversation with that new friend you just met that sort of wistfully and effortlessly pushes the conversation into spaces that you never expected. It's the deep-hearted conversations with purposeful and thoughtful individuals that have finally figured out their superpowers and are now pouring into it with gusto and love. We're delighted to host these conversations with you that lead us down the conversation well. But watch your step, because most of our guests, and of course, Lisa and I, are a little impolite. Hey, welcome to the Little Impolite Podcast. I am one of two hosts. Uh, my name is Devo, and I'm really excited that you're here today to listen to the show. We have a fantastic podcast for you to listen to today. It's with Dr. Stephen Chernisky. Um, he is the author of Caffeine Blues, among five or six other books. He uh, has sold one and a half million copies. Man, I got to do something bigger with my life. One and a half million copies of his books centered around DHEA, which is um, critical amino acid bodybuilding function of our bodies that you're, you're going to hear about in the podcast today, um, as well as some other things around metabolism. Um, but this book in particular, Caffeine Blues, was an eye-opener for me because it really brought to bear the impact that caffeine, primarily being carried by the vessel of coffee across the globe, has had on our society in really a negative capacity. So um, some of the things that we're going to learn about on the show, which really were sort of mind-blowing for me, are Caffeine directly contributes and exacerbates anxiety, panic attack, hypertension. It's responsible for cardiac risk. And one of the things that I noticed, because I've been off coffee now for almost two months, was my sleep quality has improved dramatically. I've never been much of a sleeper. I don't really need a lot of sleep. But I've never really had good, clean, strong sleep. And one of the things that's been really noticeable in the last few years is I, don't, I haven't been dreaming anymore. Um, however, that has all come to a, a, an abrupt halt in the last 30 days. Um, my sleep is cleaner, longer, deeper, and I'm dreaming again. So Dr. Chernisky is going to talk to us a little bit about some of the reasons why that might be happening and the impact that caffeine has on our bodies as a whole. And also we talk a little bit about the uh, caffeine and politics role that the distribution of coffee has played on our planet and sort of why it's so prevalent. Um, I highly recommend this book. It's called Caffeine Blues. If you have a chance to read it, it's a bit lengthy, but um, the font is large enough so you can get through it. But the amount of research and the amount of time and diligence that uh, Stephen has put into this book is just mind-blowing. Uh, he, he is a fantastic guest. Um, he's a biochemist. Um, he has over 50 years of academic and uh, experience and research in the, in the field of clinical research and experience, and just honestly, just a pleasure to talk to. So I'm excited to bring him on the show today, and I hope you enjoy listening to all of the knowledge that he is about to give us. 
Welcome wherever you are, whatever time of the day it is. I'm Diva with the Little Impolite Podcast, and I'm excited to have you on our show today. I know you have a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts, so we're excited that you've chosen a Little Impolite for this part of your day. As usual, we have nothing less than fantastic guests on. Um, I have an author coming in. He's a research scientist who has done copious amounts of research on something that has been near and dear to my life for the better half of the last 20 years. And basically, uh, this gentleman broke my heart because I had a love affair with caffeine, aka coffee, since my senior year of college when I was first introduced to a Puerto Rican blend by my boxing coach, who told me that in order for me to come to boxing, I needed to get caffeinated so that I was full of energy. And that was my first exposure to coffee. Um, I grew up in a really strict household. And we didn't have coffee as a child, which sounds like my dad actually was on to something after reading this book. But nonetheless, uh, my guest today is Stephen Chernisky. He is an author. He is a biochemist with more than 50 years of academic research. 50 years, that's not 15, 50 years of academic research, clinical experience. And he has written five or six different books on a bunch of different... <laughs> topics all centered around the human body. Um, his most re recent book was centered around DHEA, which we all know is the God compound in our bodies. And we'll go into that perhaps with another podcast with him. But specifically, the one centered around caffeine caught my attention. Um, I read an article from a friend of mine who I had on a podcast over a year ago. And in the podcast, he was just blatantly decrying the deplorable elements of what caffeine does to the human body. And honestly, it sort of um, raised a red flag off the, off the bat for me. But initially, what I did is I started researching everything I could possibly find on caffeine, just to sort of better understand and arm myself with the necessary information. And I came across Stephen's book, which is 400 plus pages of I mean, the reference sheets alone take up a quarter of the book, the amount of research he did. So I've brought, I asked Stephen to come on the show today uh, and have just a candid conversation with anyone who listens to this about his research, his data, and the real effect and impact that caffeine has on our bodies that honestly, I had no idea. Um, I honestly had no idea. I, we've always been told from from day one that you know caffeine was healthy for you and in fact you should drink three or four five, three or three to five cups a day and it's good for liver and it's good for detoxification and it's good for met metabolism and all these different things and it comes i come to find out that most of that research that we're told like i shouldn't be surprised everything else is is usually um manipulated data and and data that is serving corporate interests and things of that nature that don't actually pertain to the human body or the human health more specifically so I can't say I'm surprised after reading all of this, but Stephen, I'm really excited to have you to the show. I'm going to bring him in right now, and I'm going to let him sort of talk a little bit about who he is and what he's, why he is well-credentialed to provide feedback on this. First of all, as I said to you a week or so ago um, when I first met you, welcome to the show, Stephen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for crushing my love affair with coffee. <laughs> I'm serious, man. I am like... So if you know anything about me and anyone who, who knows me will tell you this is true. Like I don't do anything half-assed. Everything is like balls to the wall. And that includes my coffee routine. And I, for the last several years, actually the last 10 years or so, have 
have traveled the planet and everywhere I go, I seek out their coffee. I want to know what the local coffee is and you know what's the cleanest, greenest way to drink it and how are they growing it and is it herbicide and pesticide free? And, and whenever I find something that I really like, I order a big amount of it and I have it shipped to my house. So I have this very habitual routine that I do every single morning with coffee. I have a French press. I can brew it like a cappuccino style. I have all these different things that I do and I sit down in my garden and I have my warm cup of coffee. This is a, a mug I brought back from Costa Rica that used to have coffee in it. It's now lemon water. And I go through this routine of drinking coffee. And until I read your book and until I was turned on to some of the defamation around it, I honestly had no idea. And I'm assuming millions of other people across the planet don't either. So I thought I would go straight to the source and bring on the man who, honestly, this book of yours was just eye-opening to me and have a candid conversation with you about some of your research around this and what caffeine actually does to our bodies. Well, thanks, Evo. And, and I, I can relate to your, um, to your, your obsession with, with coffee because it, it, it is, a, for so many people, it's a ritual. Um, but in clinical practice, um, we, you know, when I was you know meeting with clients day after day after day, um, a, one of the things that 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 was really striking to me was uh, how little people understood about caffeine, about their ritual that they that they they held so tightly to. And it wasn't just a cup of coffee in the morning to get going, because really, there's nothing in the in the scientific literature that says that that's a bad thing. The bad thing happens when you uh, when, when your whole day revolves around caffeine, uh, because I was shocked as a clinician uh, when I was talking to clients, and I would say, you know, how many how many cups of coffee do you have every day, and and what other in, what other intakes of caffeine do you have, and they didn't know, uh, they didn't know that the energy drink. You know that they that they consumed at ten o'clock in the morning, and another one at three o'clock. They didn't know there was one hundred and fifty milligrams of caffeine in that, uh, which is basically uh, you know two cups of coffee. Um, the, you know, I would ask them, you know, how much coffee do you drink, and they would say, oh, only a few cups. And I would say, uh, next time you come in, bring your cup. I'd like to see what your what you define as a cup, and they they show me something like this. <laughs> the, the super big gulp. He's massive. And I'd say, no, that's like eight cups of coffee in that container that you call a cup. So we have to understand that that, that dose means everything. <laughs> dose defines what what a, what a poison is. Dose defines what's non toxic, right? And so. I tried to get my clients to understand, let's keep a diary, uh, a, a beverage diary, uh, and let's find out really how much caffeine you're consuming. Two years after I wrote Caffeine Blues, um, it was discovered that, that by, by good geneticists that about half of us are rapid detoxifiers of caffeine. And most, in other words, our, the, 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 the detoxification pathway in the liver is very active. Another 50% of us, and I'm talking about worldwide, another 50% of us are slow detoxifiers of caffeine. Um, and, and so that really answers a lot of questions regarding why is the research around caffeine so divergent? Why, are, why could you, know, you literally say with confidence that caffeine is good for you? And at the other time, you can also say with confidence that caffeine is bad for you. Well, let me let me stop there. Go I want to go back. I want to recap what I think I heard you say. Uh-oh. So, 
50% of the population can rapidly detoxify the caffeine intake that we consume, which is a good thing. That means our bodies are designed to, to properly filter out and clean out because caffeine inherently is a poison. And we're going to talk about that in a second, I believe, right? So, yes. <laughs> so our bodies can, it's not, that's not a fact. Like that, I mean, that's not a made up uh, fabrication. Caffeine is a, is a poison in its natural environment. Like it kills other plants. Like it's, there's toxicity to it. And is it what kills I, insects. Right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. So our bodies were ingesting this, this, this chemical and half the population is properly equipped to clean that out and filter that but the other half is not well it's, it's a matter of uh, of speed um so so very often you'll find somebody that's a that's a rapid metabolizer and in, in we, when you're interviewing them uh, and you ask them about their their sleep quality which is really an important part of health they'll say oh no i can have a cup of coffee at six o'clock at night and i sleep like a baby mm-hmm. and you talk to another person the same size person right because remember size also matters in terms of the size of your liver men's livers are larger therefore we have a greater capacity for detoxifying caffeine compared to our much smaller wife right so there's that issue but when you talk to people who are slow metabolizers and they say oh my gosh if i have a cup of coffee at noon um it's still affecting me at 11 o'clock at night when i'm trying to get to sleep so this really is a, a a significant factor getting to your point about caffeine being a toxin doses everything <laughs> All right. So, so a cup of coffee in the morning, there is no evidence that a cup of coffee in the morning to get you going, because remember, coffee does improve alertness. It's like a slap in the face. If someone slaps you in the face when you wake up in the morning, you would be more alert. But you would never think that, gee, I think I'll do that three times a day or 10 times a day or 20 times a day. You see, that's the, that's the pitfall of thinking that caffeine equals energy. No, caffeine equals stress, which your body <laughs> interprets as, as, as basically a wake-up call, just like a slap in the face. So that, that stress interpretation, that's really more of a fight-or-flight response that your body is kicking in that, because you're inducing something into your body and your body is like, alert, alert, there's a toxin, so I'm going to make you fight-or-flight type of thing, correct? Well, exactly, because all stimulants, whether it's ca- caffeine or any of the other you know, alkaloid stimulants, they, they all activate that fight or flight response, uh, which is basically a, a stimulation of your nervous system. Basically, your adrenals can pump out norepinephrine, um, and then ultimately your adrenals also produce cortisol as a result. But both of those, epinephrine and cortisol, they're both stress response biochemicals produced by your adrenals. Which brings up another problem, which is that, hey, when you're young and you sleep and hammer down a lot of caffeine uh, because you're detoxifying it fairly well and your, your nervous system is in good shape and your adrenals are in good shape, that's one thing. But now you're 50 years old and now you're having more caffeine because what? You've become tolerant to the stimulant effects. So you naturally increase your dose to get the same buzz. But now your adrenals are going... <sighs> Really, I can't. I can't handle this. I, I I can't make all this norepinephrine. I can't make all this cortisol. And so you then, a person in their fifties, will tend to have adrenal stress related to the same amount of coffee that they had when they were younger. It's fascinating science around this. So I want to go back to a point that I read earlier in the book, and 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 I'm 
I may paraphrase this incorrectly, so correct me, obviously. But it's not so much the actual act of in, of drinking caffeine that causes, you know, one glass here and in moderation there. It's it's relatively acceptable. I mean, we're ingesting different things throughout the day all the time that cause our bodies to to have some sort of a response. But what I read from one of my takeaways I read from the book was that it's sort of a slow death buildup over time, which causes so much damage because there's sort of a delayed impact of caffeine in your body. And the more we ingest it, it just sort of begins to build up and almost numb different parts of our, our ability to process properly. Is that, am I saying that correctly or? Well, it's more, it's more related to the tolerance effect. Okay. Um, as you become, because remember when you're, when your boxing coach told you to, to jack up on caffeine, what he wanted was you to be incredibly alert. He wanted your reaction time because everything about boxing is reaction time. He wanted your reaction time to be, be, to be fast. He wanted you up on caffeine. Uh, at, at the same time, as you, as you, you know, then experience that, your body would ultimately become tolerant to that effect and you wouldn't get the same buzz, which is what happens when people depend on caffeine mm -hmm. for energy. Because remember, caffeine is not energy, it's stress. And so what happens is the body becomes tolerant to that. Even the, even the, the blood pressure effects of caffeine, your body becomes tolerant to that. And so that, that's a good thing that you don't, you know, as, as you become tolerant to the dose of caffeine, you don't have the same blood pressure effect as you did when you first started drinking it back in college. But at the same time, we have to remember the, these two little glands sitting on top of your kidneys called the adrenals, they have a job to do. Uh, and their job is is to maintain homeostasis, maintain the balance of 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 cortisol with other hormones. And the reason I mention cortisol a lot is that habitual caffeine intake will tend to raise cortisol, and that's the bad guy here. That's the one that that that, that, that promotes weight gain, especially the gaining of fat, high cortisol levels. Increase your risk for uh, panic attacks and anxiety, uh, and then when people start to get anxiety, very often they turn to more caffeine, which is crazy. But but and and if you look at the the research on panic attacks and how that relates closely to caffeine intake, um, you have to understand that the adrenals are doing their best, but over time the adrenals become exhausted and a lot of that can be uh, ascribed to a person's overuse of caffeine as well as the, the obvious the fact that, that life is stressful. <laughs> That's funny that you say the overuse because I, I've never took notice of it before, but it's interesting. I, I joked in the, in our first conversation, my dad used to walk around with one of those like 64 ounce super big gulps and it was filled with either soda or Dr. Pepper, or some sort of caffeinated beverage. And he would drink three or four of those in a day. And I never thought anything of it. And, you know, we take on the habits of our, of our parents, right? And so I, I, when I went to college, I found that I was drinking soda. But I, I noticed it was having a, like a, a weight gain effect on me right away. So I, I cut out soda out of my body. But I never, so I, and then I switched to coffee. And, and one of the things I never took note before is how much coffee we actually consume. And if you walk around and just literally like sitting, walking around downtown a couple of days ago, I was looking around at just everybody and everybody's holding a cup of coffee. And they're really big effing cups. They're not like little six ounce cups. They're like giant thermoses 
you know, of 20, 20 plus ounces or more. And it's like at least half of the people I observed, and I was just, I was actively making sort of a, a, a sort of a case study on this. At least half of the people I was watching were holding a cup of coffee. And so I can only imagine having worked in that world before. I remember like I would get bored and I would get up and I'd walk to the coffee because we had a coffee shop in our, in our building and I would get a cup of coffee and I would do that five or six times a day. And so, and everybody was doing that. Yeah. Imagine, imagine Devo, imagine if you went to the doctor uh, and, and, and the doctor took out his or her prescription pad and wrote you a prescription for a powerful drug. And then, and then you're on your way out and you turn to the doctor and you say, um, Hey doc, um, it doesn't say on this prescription how much I'm supposed to take. And the doctor says, oh, just take as much as you want. <laughs> See, that's what's happening. This is a powerful drug, and no one's giving you guidelines as to how much is a good amount and how much is, is going to be uh, stressful and how much will, uh, can kill you. Uh, and so that's the situation that we're in right now. People are not having this conversation like you and I are having. Uh, they just think, oh, well, it's, it's, it's for sale everywhere. It tastes good. It, it gives me, it, you know, it clears my, my, the fog, fog out of my brain. So I guess I should just consume you know, massive amounts of this on a daily basis. And in reality, if you're a slow metabolizer, especially, uh, caffeine can be a real hindrance. And you mentioned something else, which is really important soft drinks. Because the caffeine in soft drinks is not added for taste. Caffeine does not taste good. It's a bitter alkaloid, right? <laughs> so, so caffeine is added to soft drinks with one purpose, that is to addict you to that product. Uh, and, and in my clinical practice, I have to tell you, there were more people addicted to Diet Coke than there were addicted to, to coffee. And that's a whole other conversation, diet sodas. And I'd like to get into that if we can, if we have time for it. I want to go back to two things that I really want to touch on, caffeine and politics. I want to understand why, if it is a drug, why has it been, why has it, why has it been so enabled to become part of the mainstream? But before we go into that conversation, because I know you've got a lot of things to say about that, <laughs> talk a little bit about the chemical aspect of what caffeine actually is from, from a native origin as the plant itself because i that's something i had no idea that it was an active poison and an actual toxic poison so well, can you speak a little bit about that well it's produced by the plant uh, to to kill insects that would normally consume it <laughs> so it's it's and and then long ago it was it was discovered and, and again whether the origins of coffee are in south america or arabia doesn't really matter but it was discovered by the story goes by sheep herders <laughs> who noticed that the sheep were nibbling on this plant and they were like very active and and then the sheep herder started eating the same plant and he became very active and alert and, you know the whole politics around around uh, coffee is, is really amazing uh, because once it spread to europe uh it, it went it went Europe went crazy for coffee. And why? So for the same reason that Europe went crazy when they got sugar, right? <laughs> because these compounds uh, changed your state um, and, 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 and gave you a feeling of something. And don't forget, we tend to, uh, we human beings, tend to reach for, for compounds that change our state. Why? Because the normal state for most people, is boring. <laughs> so, so you want you want to change your state, and and you reach for the compound that will do that. Uh, and so, caffeine became 
critically important worldwide in a relatively short period of time, you know, less than 100 years, coffee was everywhere. And you have a breakdown of some of the history of that in your book, The Caffeine Blues. And I'm not doing a promotion for your book, but if anybody listens to this and wants to get straight to the fact, I'm showing you right now, uh, the amount of research that you have in here is just honestly overwhelmingly impressive. But you talked a little bit in here about the history of that and sort of why it took such a foothold. Can you speak a little bit about that? Because um, as a history buff, I'm fascinated that something that was qualified as a drug and it's known that it's a substance, it's a, it's, it's a, a substance that's act, an active drug compound, but it was accepted and p- pushed into the mainstream narrative. Like it was actively pushed into it. Why do you think that is? Obviously outside of the revenue pieces, which by the way, before I did the call, I didn't realize coffee, the coffee industry in of itself, it's a $460 billion industry, $460 billion in, in, in 2021 in, across worldwide. And, and, and again, uh, as, a, as a commodity, it stands alone as a, as a pharmaceutical commodity. <laughs> Everything else, whether you only get soybeans, corn, wheat, and, 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 you know, and then you have coffee, um, which, which, which is kind of interesting. The, the politics had a lot to do with Coca-Cola uh, in, in the early days, because Coca-Cola said... Um, as you well know, Coca-Cola said, "Hey, let's 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 make a cocktail of chemicals here, and and let's see if we can you know sell it to as many people as possible." They, originally, they put cocaine in it, right, uh, to, so that people would you know become addicted to it. And then once that was outlawed, then they just cranked up the caffeine. So Coca-Cola had a lot to do with the 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 proliferation of of this compound called caffeine uh but but coffee became rapidly coffee became a a ritual for so many people in my household it was a ritual uh you know when i started working in various industries and corporations it was a ritual when i got to academia uh you know the 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 faculty lounge (laughs) had to have a, a pot full of coffee and it had to be full and if it got half full Somebody was assigned to go fill it up because the whole school revolved around the consumption of caffeine. The students were cramming on caffeine. The faculty was drinking it in the faculty lounge. It was everywhere. And it's so much a part of our life that it it becomes very difficult to even question something which is so ubiquitous. Yeah. And that's funny you say that because I haven't had a cup of coffee now in almost, I'm going about 50 days now. I've been completely cold turkey cut myself out of it and when i when people ask me because I, I i take a lot of meetings let's meet for coffee and i don't order coffee anymore and they're like shocked that i'm not drinking <laughs> coffee and i was right. like well, let me tell you some things i know about coffee now and they look at me like i'm speaking martian to them like how dare you it's almost become well not almost coffee is almost like a tribal talisman to modern societies it's like you have to have a cup of coffee so that you can fit into the group think yeah yeah well, like you said, you know, to, to go around outside and see how many people are walking around with a cup of coffee uh, in the morning in New York City or any any city, you'll find the same the same thing happening. I want to make sure that everybody knows that caffeine is only one of thousands, thousands of compounds, chemical compounds that exist in coffee. There are thousands of chemical compounds, the 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 effect of which are not really well known. 
Um, so, so these are natural inherent compounds that the coffee plant is inherently part of, or these are synthetically introduced by pesticides, herbicides, or is this, is this both that you're saying? No, this is this is only the chemical compounds that exist in the coffee bean after it is roasted, fermented, and then roasted again. So you've got all these chemical cocktail that exists in any natural product, right? Even soybeans have probably dozens of chemical compounds in that soybean. But in the coffee bean, there are lots more than there are in soybeans. And then you roast that, and then all these chemical changes occur. And then you ferment that, right? And more chemical changes occur. And then you roast it again. And that final roasting produces like a wide array of, of chemicals that didn't exist originally, but that came to be from the process of roasting, fermenting, and roasting. Uh, and, and then, of course, you take it home and then you you percolate it or you French, you know, press it or or you do something else to it uh, to make the cup of coffee that you then drink. So it's a it's a long process of 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 chemistry. Uh, that that's really intriguing to me as a biochemist, but at the same time as a clinician trying to help people to experience greater quality of life, I I had to look at the caffeine they were consuming um, and then educate them regarding the effects of this habit that they held so held on to so dear. Now um, you were once a coffee drinker, like I like I was. I mean, you drank it quite heavily, and you talk a little bit about that in the book. What was it? And if you mind, just you know, repeat it for my audience. What was it that sort of got you going down the rabbit hole of why why are people consuming coffee the way they are, and that there might be some inherent danger to it? Well, I, I you know I started looking more carefully at a a, a particular hormone called DHEA. Um, the DHEA is is the most comprehensive repair signal in the entire body and brain. Now, repair, and I'm talking about back in the 70s when I was trying to formulate something called the metabolic model of aging, which is the, the seesaw of damage and repair. Well, if aging is a seesaw of damage and repair, and then as we get older, we have less repair capacity and, then, and damage then starts to accumulate. So this became known as the metabolic model of aging, and I'm happy to say that it's now the predominant model worldwide. Well, that being the case, DHA plays a critical role, right? Because it is the most comprehensive repair signal. DHA is, is responsible for initiating repair throughout your body and, most importantly, your brain. Now, where is DHA made? Primarily in the adrenals. So if you are slamming the adrenals with stress from caffeine, in large amounts day after day, your DHEA level is going to decline. Now, think about that. Right? I ultimately wrote a book called The DHEA Breakthrough. I wrote another book about DHEA called The Metabolic Plan. I wrote another book with my wife about the whole issue called The Metabolic Makeover. And we, we, we put all this energy and effort into helping people understand the critical importance of the repair of the human body and brain that happens on a daily basis. What I'm saying is that the overuse of caffeine will cause your repair capacity to decline. This might not be evident when you're 20 or 30, but it's certainly going to be evident when you're 40 and then 50 and then 60 and beyond. So as an anti-aging scientist, 
I had to <laughs> I had to alert people of this problem that, that you could fix. You can't fix your genes, right? You can't go into your genome and, and choose your parents again, right? But the thing you can change is to moderate your intake of caffeine. So again, I, sorry, I didn't mean to repeat that. Once you sort of discover this connection between DHEA and the the repair decline in your body, how did you deduce that caffeine would be one was one of the major culprits for that? Though is where I'm trying to get at. How did you oh. kind of get? How did you get into that rabbit hole of researching that caffeine, coffee being a big culprit of that was sort of it was the culprit behind this? Because oh, thank you, thank you for that's very astute. Thank you. I think coffee, caffeine specifically, stimulates the adrenals to produce stress hormones. The adrenals also have to produce DHEA, and they can't do both. Uh, so that that's what sort of took you down that pathway. Yeah. Yeah. So for clarification, because, again, if, if we're – if whether we're slow metabolizers or no metabolizers, is there a case to be made that you can consume coffee in small, moderate amounts – as long as it's being balanced, or is it just kind of like don't drink it all across no, the board? I, I think I think the, your former statement is accurate. I think a small amount of caffeine um, um, on a regular basis is perfectly fine. I couldn't find any data to suggest that a cup of coffee in the morning is bad for anybody. I and mean, what maybe, about, some, maybe yeah. someone with advanced kidney disease, but for yeah. but for for the average person without any chronic disease, uh, a cup of coffee is is fine. The problem is it, having a cup of coffee leads to having three cups of coffee, yeah. which often leads to having five cups of coffee, which often leads to having uh, you know, your, 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 your pitcher full of, of uh, Mountain Dew or Red Bull. I don't know if there's a deduction to be made by this, but I, I, I hear a lot of people who try to quit coffee. They're not able to quit or they get massive migraines or they have sort of like they have fallbacks and whatnot. I haven't touched it. And I have to tell you, I don't miss it in any way, shape or form. So by, by deduction, does that mean that I was a good metabolizer of it? Or is that, is that, what that, that, that would, that would, that would suggest that you were a, a rapid metabolizer, but at the same time, we have that's to the non-scientific deduction. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let, let's, let, let's make sure that people understand this, that the reason why people get a headache when they stop drinking coffee is because Caffeine constricts blood vessels in the brain. When you stop drinking caffeine, those blood vessels dilate and, and circulation to your brain is increased, and that produces the headache. It's like an overload. Well, I'm going to say that again. Caffeine constricts blood vessels in your brain. That's not a good thing. Yeah. And then when you stop drinking caffeine, the dilation or, or of these blood vessels allows for greater blood flow, producing a headache. Now, so, so that constriction, sorry to interrupt, that constriction, just so I can clarify, that means you're getting less blood or less oxygen to your brain? Yeah. yeah. So, even though, even though your 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 adrenals are pumping stress hormones so that you do in fact feel more alert but the reality is you've decreased circulation uh, in your brain uh, and and that's that's a well known fact this is not not, not my opinion <laughs> it sounds like beer goggles for coffee <laughs> tell me if if i may just because there's so many different things that we can talk about and 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 one of my friends who is an avid coffee drinker, she said, I want to hear some of the things on the podcast. What are some of the impacts by ingesting coffee or caffeine that are going to cause me the most damage to my body? Can you speak to some of the really bigger highlight pieces that are sort of eye-opening? 
other than the fact that it cuts off uh, blood flow to your brain? Well, if, that, main, if that's not big enough, I don't know what it is. But well, the main the main thing is 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 how it affects your nervous system, uh, how it it, it it produces anxiety in so many people. I can't tell you how many clients I had where their where their primary concern for for coming to see me was anxiety. And when I looked at the amount of caffeine they were consuming, it was like wow. And they had no idea that there was a connection there. But there's a very big connection there. Panic attacks number two. Uh, hypertension number three, um, a, a increased risk for cardiac events relating to stress. Now, in, the, in other words, if you look at stress, um, and and th this is a huge issue, especially in the 21st century, especially in the 21st century in, in a society where we just went through two and a half years of, of a pandemic. Stress is a critically important part of quality of life. And if you're understanding that, that we all need to manage a certain amount of stress, some of us have to manage a lot of stress. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I would suggest meditation. I would suggest that we, that we really focus on sleep quality, uh, that everyone understands how much sleep is necessary. And in that regard, I would ask people, um, how do you wake up in the morning? Nine out of 10 people would say, uh, my alarm clock goes off. And I would say, Oh, that's strange. You need an alarm clock to wake up? Well, of course I need an alarm clock to wake up. I say, that's funny. No other animal on, in, on Earth you know, wakes up with an alarm clock. But, but we do, and you don't think that's a little weird. And they would, they'd look at me like, what are you talking about? I'd say, sleep quality means you wake up when your body is fully rested, not when the flipping alarm clock goes off. And I would say, and then what happens when the alarm clock goes off? Well, I, I go downstairs and I have a cup of coffee. How soon after the alarm clock goes off do you have your first cup of coffee? Well, my alarm clock is connected to the coffee maker. So by the time I get downstairs, the coffee's already there. And I say, and you don't, and you don't think this is a little weird that you have to have a drug the moment you wake up and that you have to have an alarm clock to even wake you up? Don't you understand that this is affecting your quality of life? And they would, you know, sometimes the light bulb would go off and they would say, oh my God, I never thought of that. And sometimes they would say, I don't like what you're telling me. I'll never see you again. <laughs> That's generally how most society is. Either you, you accept it as knowledge that can help them or people just turn a blind eye to it. I, I saw somebody doing a, I don't know where it was. I was at somebody's house recently and they, this, the Google Alexa, they had their coffee machine hooked up to it. And it was like, Alexa, brew me a, an espresso. And I'm like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Yep. Yeah. So I want to go back to the panic attack and anxiety piece. And I, I wanted, before I ask you a, my question, one of the two things that I've noticed since I've been off coffee that have been dramatic shifts in my lifestyle is I used to get really bloated in the morning and I never understood why. And I thought maybe it's because I don't really eat breakfast. So I was playing around with that sort of stuff. But since I've been off coffee, I've had no bloating whatsoever. And the other piece was is that my sleeps have been considerably deeper. And I haven't been dreaming for the last few years for whatever reason. And I'm suddenly dreaming again. Is that a connection to the, to the caffeine drop? Or is that just something that's happening because I'm getting older? I, I have no idea. They're, 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 they're both connected. And, and, and how astute of you to notice the difference in your GI health because caffeine does affect the gut microbiome. 
um, and and in ways that are not well understood. Uh, caffeine tends to affect the level of bacteria in your gut. Uh, caffeine tends to uh, favor certain bacteria over other other kinds of bacteria. The fact that you stop drinking coffee um, and and there was a change in your gut which was favorable to you. In other words, you don't experience the bloating. Bravo, and and I'm, I'm suggesting that there is a cause and effect relationship there. Uh, at the same time, uh, sleep quality, I'm going to say it again, is really, really, really important. Um, and, and it becomes more important as we get older uh, because sleep is when most repair occurs. Sleep is when your immune system goes into, into first gear uh, to get to get to mop up all the activity that happened during the day. So, so sleep quality is important and caffeine plays such a role in that arena. Um, and you mentioned that the person that, that, that you were talking to was a woman who was really into coffee. Women tend to have uh, uh, women tend to be slow metabolizers uh, because their liver is smaller, uh, and and so a woman will tend to have more stress from a specific amount of caffeine compared to her larger husband. At the same time, certain drugs like birth control pills, for example, will reduce the detox capacity of a woman uh, to detox caffeine. So a woman on birth control. Uh, is going to have even more trouble detoxifying the caffeine. And when I say detoxify, I mean reducing caffeine to to its various components so that it it takes the stress off your nervous system. Um, And so, but but a woman who is a slow detoxifier, who's on birth control pills, who's a small person, um, you know, 120-pound woman, that woman having more than a couple cups of coffee a day, that will invariably have an effect, a negative effect on her life that she might not be aware of. She'll go, she'll go for counseling uh, for her anxiety. Uh, and the and the and the the, the 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 psychiatric counselor will not ask her how much coffee are you drinking? It's that crazy. That so, should be their first question. <laughs> yeah. So um the fact that it's affecting women on birth control, there are other are there other sort of dangers with mixing with other pharmaceuticals as well? Well, you know, the, the, the detoxification pathway, uh, uh, the CYP450 pathway in the, in the liver, um, is, is being stressed daily uh, by, by the pollution that you breathe when you walk down the street, uh, the, 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 the chemicals in the water that might not be pure. There's so many things that the that, that this enzyme system has to detoxify um, as well as any and all pharmaceuticals that you're consuming keep in mind that every single pharmaceutical drug that you consume whether it's an advil over the counter or whether it's a prescription drug the people who design that drug have to design it to overwhelm the liver's capacity to detoxify it not interesting so so the more pharmaceuticals you consume the more stress you're putting on this capacity of your liver to detoxify so it stands to reason that someone because remember as we age we tend to increase our number of prescription drugs the average 65 year old in the united states is on six prescription drugs six (laughs) wait i need to go back to that for a second sorry (laughs) okay i didn't really quite understand it well i understand it but i didn't understand it before you said it so by me taking an ibuprofen or a painkiller to block knee pain. I play soccer, so occasionally I will take ibuprofen because I have knee pain because I got injured back in October. 
Are you so you're saying that by taking ibuprofen, I understand how it works as blocking the pain receptors, but in order for it to do that, it has to have so much volume that it basically overwhelms the liver so the liver can't take out the toxicity of, of the ibuprofen? Right. Any drug, and, and, and believe me, I was in this arena, right? <laughs> when you're designing a drug, you have to design it to overwhelm the liver's ability to detoxify it. So you have to, you have to produce an, a, a quantity, and that has to be measured and known that what quantity of that drug has to be ingested to maintain a specific level in the bloodstream. Because remember, the blood is constantly traveling through the liver, right? So you've got to be able to maintain a certain level of that, of that chemical in the blood in order to achieve the result that you're looking for, whether it's the managing inflammation or whether it's moderating the, 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 the heart rate or monitoring the, the, anything else that you're using the drug for. But and how long does it take your body to filter that out of the liver? Well, it depends if it's if it's an Advil, not very long at all. I mean, an Advil an Advil wears off what in in four hours. Usually, when people are prescribing painkillers, they say you can take X number of milligrams of uh, every four hours. So, figure in four hours, your liver will have completely taken apart that molecule, um, and then you will need more of that molecule to experience the same level of pain relief. I, I had I'd never understood that connection before. So blood, pressure drug, all... blood pressure drugs are the same way. Yeah. Uh, dr drugs that moderate the rhythm of the heart the same way. You have to maintain a specific level of that chemical in the blood. Um, and so that's why the more drugs you take, uh, the more stress you have on the liver. Um, and then and then you, you add on to that the caffeine that people are consuming, sometimes in massive amounts. And now you've got real trouble. <laughs> and you said the average American, or did you say average person is taking six pharmaceuticals simultaneously? The, the, is that the average said? person at age sixty-five is is taking six prescription drugs in 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 twelve in the twelve calendar month. That's insane. Yes, <laughs> I, I don't take any pharmaceuticals, so I don't. I'm glad I'm not part of that equation. I want to talk about two pieces, actually three of the five items that you listed in terms of evidence around caffeine's impact anxiety panic attacks and hypertension what about caffeine causes these to be so prevalent what, what is it that's actually going on i understand the fight or flight but how does how does anxiety and there's another one that you talked about in your book depression so that's probably on the that's high on the list correct depression yeah, it is, because anxiety and depression are two sides of the same coin. I mean, we don't think of them in the same way because they're treated with different drugs. But but if you look at the alteration of normal brain function, uh, and, and I tend to think that normally um, we, are, we are pretty happy um, organisms, mm -hmm. um, and, but we tend to become unhappy uh, when, when, we're, when we're feeling uncertain or when we're feeling anxious. Mm -hmm. So anxiety is a, is a common form of the aberration of our normal state. Uh, we're afraid of things that we shouldn't be afraid of. We're, we're feeling nervous about things that we, shouldn't, we should be able to tolerate. Uh, and then again, depression happens when, when, when we can't really reach that, that, that point in our 
in our brain, uh, the dopamine, you know, this signal that tells us that, that, that is signaling joy. So, so we have to understand that, that these brain states are affected by a wide range of influences and chemicals that we're exposed to. But caffeine can trigger both anxiety and interestingly can trigger depression, which means that it becomes very addictive because we tend to go to, to the things that we're addicted to when we want to change our state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so it's one of those things about awareness that I find to be compelling, which is that when you're aware of your state, as many people are not, many people are just on autopilot, but when you're aware of your state and your surroundings and, and, and you're keying into the things that really are the laughter of a child, uh, the feeling that you get when you exercise, the feeling that you get when you're in love, all these wonderful feelings that are that, that can give us the sense of joy and, 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 and richness in life. It, it, when those start to disappear because they're, they're clouded by anxiety or they're clouded by this de- feeling of depression that you're never going to be happy again, that, that's when you have to really take stock of not only the caffeine in your life, but other drugs as well. Um, you know, my wife is a, was a, is a clinician, double board certified in family medicine. Um, and, and she used to tell her patients who would come to her and ask her for a prescription for an antidepressant. She would say, well, before I write you a prescription for an antidepressant, let's talk about, you know, what's going to bring more joy in your life. Let's, let's look for a pro joint instead of an antidepressant. <laughs> and, and she would find not surprisingly, that, that usually the people that were coming to her uh, were on enormous quantities of, of coffee and other caffeine beverages. So can you speak to that for a minute? And metabolically, what, what's actually happening? If someone's prone to, if, let, let's just pretend that I have anxiety on a regular basis. And let's just pretend that I have depression and that I have panic attacks on a regular basis, but I don't consume coffee. What's metabolically happening to exacerbate that problem when caffeine is ingested when I already have some of those issues at, at hand? Well, you know, resilience is a, is, is a science in and of itself. Um, and, and you're going to think that I'm, I'm like a broken record here, but the, the, the hormone that, that is the hormone of resilience is DHEA. Um, if, if you look at any number of studies that have been done. One of my favorite is is a study that was done with with Navy SEALs, um, because in the in the in the training for of to become a Navy SEAL, uh, there's one test which is rather arduous. You know where they tie your hands together and they tie your feet together and throw you a swimming pool, and you have to find a hose somewhere in that swimming pool where there's oxygen, <laughs> and and looking at the difference between the the the, the candidates that pass and candidates who fail, the most striking difference was their blood level of DHEA. DHEA is the hormone of resilience. And if if you're consuming, you know, first of all, women produce less DHEA than men. Right? They just do. Can can you take DHEA as a supplement? Or is that I'm sorry. Yeah, you ought to. 
<laughs> yes, you can take it as a supplement, um, and 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 you can even measure it when you go for your annual physical. You can even tell your doctor. Don't ask. Just tell your doctor. I want to know my DHEA sulfate level, and your doctor will give you. Uh, it will put that on your blood chemistry test because most people don't know what no their idea. DHEA level is. But that's another story for another another interview. My point being that women tend to produce less of this hormone than men do. Men have multiple sources. We have gonads that produce DHEA, and women don't. So, so women are relying on their adrenal production pretty much 90% um, uh, because their brain is going to produce a little DHEA. But the, for the most part, women have less DHEA, which means they are more prone to anxiety compared to men. Um, and so, so at the same time, if that woman who has a smaller liver uh, is also going to be slamming down cup after cup of coffee and Red Bull and Monster and Rockstar, she is in real trouble because she's teetering on the edge of a panic attack every day. And so what's fit, but sorry, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself and you're answering me and I'm not hearing it. What's metabolically happening though, when caffeine is getting in there, is it is it part of those, and I think you talked about adenosine receptors interfering with your body's inability to metabolize properly? Is that what sort of is the science behind it? Part of part of it is that, but the one I want to hammer on the most is is the adrenal, is the the, the level of adrenal stress, uh, which is which is impairing a woman's ability to moderate her mood um, and and stay on an even keel. So so. And, and I'm not being sexist here. I'm just just stating the facts uh, that that we know that 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 women have more um, illnesses relating to anxiety. They have more illnesses relating to autoimmunity, um, and all of this has to has to go squarely on the, what's going on in this woman's adrenals. Uh, and and this is something which her doctor is not even going to mention. Because this is not this is not relating to their training. They're not trained well on adrenal function. They're not trained well. They're not trained well even on kidney function. But that's another point altogether. And speaking of kidneys, of course, what about the diuresis? What about the fact that caffeine contributes to dehydration, and dehydration contributes to a raft of disorders? <laughs> so, as as a you mentioned, going when you go in to see your doctor on your annual physical to be asking for a DHE level test, are there other things that the doc, that doctors are not testing or not sharing with their patients that we should be asking them to do studies on, or is there specific things that are centered around if you're a coffee drinker in general or, and you don't give it up, should I be asking very specific questions of my doctor when I see him? Great question, Devo. And, and here's the truth. The truth is in the medical literature, there are hundreds hundreds of studies with human beings that look at the relationship between DHEA and cortisol, DHEA and cortisol, because remember, they're both produced by the adrenals. One is a stress hormone, which activates the stress response. The other, DHEA, is a repair hormone. They're both produced in the same area of this tiny little gland called the adrenals. But even though that's in the medical literature, this relationship, this key relationship between cortisol and DHEA, it is almost impossible to find a doctor who uses that ratio, even though he or she can order it any day of the week. A doctor can order the relationship between DHEA and cortisol. 
any day of the week. And they don't because they don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> A lot of mind eye-opening stuff you've dropped today. I want to, um, in our last few minutes of our call, sorry, man, it's already, we've already been on talking for almost an hour. So one of my nutrition friends sent me a couple of posts and I'm looking here on my phone because she knew I was bringing you on the show and we sort of got into a sort of small debate on the efficacy of caffeine or coffee. And so she sent me this thing to ask you that scientists and latest research recommends two to three cups of coffee per day because it significantly reduces the risk of incident arrhythmia, acute kidney disease, cardiovascular disease, and all causes of mortality. And she wanted to know if you could speak to that. Yeah, there, there's, there's good things to say about coffee. And, and believe it or not, one of the best things about coffee uh, is that it has antioxidant activity. Uh, remember my, I'm going to go back to the seesaw of damage and repair. <laughs> one of the most damaging forces in human physiology is oxidative stress. Right? And, and our bodies are designed to manage that stress by producing antioxidants, some of which are produced by the body and some of which we get from our diet. It's, it's reasonable to say that most people have a ferblungeon diet. Right, Most people are eating, <laughs> if you look at their diet diary, and again, as a clinician who, who counseled thousands and thousands of clients, I can tell you that most people's diet is just terrible what people are consuming out there so in that i used to be one of those people okay. i can i can attest to that right. so i that, never paid attention to my diet before just sort of like i'm young i'm viral i can eat whatever i want my body right. will take care of it i'm fit but i never i never understood the importance of that so for people who are eating a diet devoid of of fresh fruits and vegetables which is the only source of antioxidants that exist Right. For people who don't eat an abundance of fruits and vegetables, and I'm talking about the brightly colored fruits and vegetables, the deep green, the deep orange, the deep yellow, the deep reds and purples and blues. Right? For people that are not consuming that on a daily basis, that cup of coffee might be their only source of antioxidants. So when you study these people, yeah. The caffeine is a good thing, right? Because it's their only source of antioxidants. But that doesn't mean that you should drink more coffee and continue to eat it from Belongia diet. That makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you this. So if if you're on your deathbed and someone says, give me the final answer, I really want to drink coffee. But if I don't drink coffee and I have a, 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 a diet full of of rich fruits and vegetables, coffee is not going to add any significant impact on my life that I couldn't get by doing something with fruits and vegetables. Is that sort of the best way to say that? You're exactly right. There's really no real reason to actually drink coffee because we can supplement that with something else. Precisely. Yeah. So I'm assuming you don't drink coffee yourself anymore? I drink a cup of coffee in the morning. You do have a a small cup? Yeah. And it's just because you enjoy the habit of it? I enjoy the habit of it, um, and I and I, I I obviously monitor my my health carefully. Um, I'll be seventy four next week, and 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 I think I'm doing pretty well. One of the reasons being that I, I sup, I've been supplementing with DHEA for the last thirty five years, um, and the other reason is that I, I I have a loving relationship, and I have a uh, I, I'm financially secure, and I sleep like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to look into the DHE supplements. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about, it, but is there a specific brand or resource that you use for that? 
My wife and I have a, my wife and I, if you go to thehealthyskeptics.com, um, thehealthyskeptics.com, uh, you'll find that we've got, uh, or, or you can go to my2048.com is another um, website that we that we use, um, that we operate. Uh, and you'll find information about DHA as well as a, a specific formulation, uh, which oh, we think right. is, is advanced and very important rather than just taking DHA by itself. Um, we've combined it with a couple of other factors, which which make DHA work better um, than just going to the health food store and buying something off the shelf. I actually have another question. Sorry, before you go. So, if let's just assume that I'm not going to detract on my intake of coffee and I'm going to still do my super big gulps every day, is there something else that I can be doing to offset and counterbalance the impact of caffeine is having outside of fruits and vegetables? Is there anything that you would recommend, or you just saying that's bad across the board no i i think that if you're if you're not going to moderate your intake of caffeine um there's there's some reasonable evidence that supplementing with dhea might um mitigate some of the adverse effects Hmm. and obviously obviously exercise (laughs) right because because nothing good comes out of a sedentary lifestyle the, the the day you stop moving is the day you start dying yeah you know what's fascinating to me about the human body and then we can close on this and i'll let you get back to your busy day is the the symbiosis between everything sunlight activity eating well getting good sleep meditating being mindful all of those things and while most of them are taken for granted and never induced into our bodies we're never taught about this sort of stuff as children were never taught these lessons as adults were never taught these lessons and yet they're the critical building blocks of living a healthy sustainable life it's crazy to me how all of them are sort of interconnected and if you don't have balance across that space one gets affected and impacted in a, in a negative capacity it's just mind-blowing to me how extraordinary our bodies and and sort of the planet and how all of them just kind of work together in perfect harmony yeah well and well said uh, because because it is a holistic um, approach that you're that you're talking about and and without that we we tend to focus on just one thing and forget about these other things that are equally important um and and stress i'm going to say one more time uh stress is is the killer um, you know, when I was, I was learning about the effects of stress, um, and, and, on the human body, uh, and quality of life, I, I was so impressed that, that I, I went and lived in an ashram for seven years mm-hmm. to, 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 to learn and to practice, um, uh, a, a very high form of stress management, uh, because I understood at a very early age that that was going to give me the tools I needed to become a very happy old man. I love that. There are so many things that we could have expounded on. I think we might have to bring you back for another conversation. All right. Look forward to it. Before you go, I ask everyone this question. If you were to the mothership returns today and says, hey, Stephen, you've got to come with us. You've got bigger, bigger fish to fry and you have to leave us your superpower here. What's your superpower you're going to leave us? <laughs> My superpower would, would be the ability to, to see the big picture. Um, I, I was part of a genomics research um, uh, operation back in the early 2000s uh, when genomics was just uh, you know, being understood and, and, and used uh, in various universities around the country. Uh, and everybody started to specialize in, in these minute, small little slices of, 
of the human genome. Um, and I, I at, this, at that time, I said, there's got to be someone who's able to step back and incorporate a wider range of, of, of knowledge and understanding to see the big picture. We have a phrase called, you know, you miss the forest for the trees. Yes. And that's what we're in danger of right now. We're in danger of everybody being so specialized that no one is seeing the big picture. And I think that that's my superpower is seeing how it all integrates and, and, and how the different factors that, that, re, that influence quality of life, that those factors need to be understood globally uh, as well as individually. I love it. Thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Hey, thanks for, thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing all the knowledge that you shared. There's a lot of stuff that we went over today, so I really appreciate your time. <laughs> My pleasure. Bye-bye. Have, have a great day.